Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses for context. We're going to read into verse 4 and uh, down through uh, verse 7, and then we'll stop there. But we're going to actually pick up in our study this morning in verse 4. But for context, let's just read all of this. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Saul went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray again. Father, just open our hearts now to your word and bless it to us and teach us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, last week we had left off at verse 3, but we were beginning to look at uh, Jesus' birth. And, 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 and beginning to look at that, we, we saw here how this came to pass in the days of uh, that, that decree went out from Caesar Augustus for that census to be taken. And we talked a lot last week about the fact that all of the events that were taking place seem very insignificant, and yet all of those events, as simple as a, a census, a bureaucratic uh, a requirement put in place by the Caesar that was ruling, that it was no accident. It was all of the pieces of the divine puzzle falling into place. We looked at Galatians 4.4 and Paul speaking of the fact that, you know, in the fullness of time, Christ came. In the fullness of time, we, we talked a lot about how that just was a perfect picture that Paul uses because here we have Mary whose, whose time is coming to give birth to Jesus. And, and Paul's using the same kind of language spiritually to say that the world was ready to give birth, that the universe was ready for this to take place. And why was it ready? It was ready because God made it ready. God had put everything in place for the moment of Jesus' birth. Yeah, even the evil Roman Empire. Yeah, even the Roman Empire that, that, that was so cruel in so many ways and had upended the world in so many ways that was imposing its, its own form of morality on God's people. And the Herods, the family that was appointed to rule over Judea, placed there by the Roman Empire and all of them so corrupt. How upending that had to be to God's people. To live under that, to see those conditions. And we talked last week how so many of them would have looked and, and felt like this God was not in this. God was, this was not of the Lord. And yet all of it was of him. All of those events were of him. He was posturing all of these things in place for this very moment, for the unfolding of the plan of redemption that he had. I reminded you guys, as you look at the events in our world today, it's easy to feel that God's not in it and to feel that we must somehow control the flow of events. But 
to step back for a moment and realize that God is still unfolding events. He's not finished yet with this world. And he's unfolding events that that will come to play at some point in time. And though we might feel like he's out of control, he's not out of control. He's completely in control. And that's what we looked at. But this morning, let's pick up in verse 4 as we continue that same idea here. And we see in verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so we now see the divine intention of this seemingly routine event unfolding as the narrative returns to Joseph and Mary. And what we see is that edict that we looked at last week, that census that that Caesar Augustus put in place, it now puts Mary and Joseph in motion. It's moving them. It's moving them to a place. It's sending them back to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem where they need to go for this plan to be perfectly worked out. And we'll come to that in a moment, why Bethlehem is significant. But just note this, that this seemingly insignificant event is putting them in motion to go to exactly where God wants them to be. Sometimes the seemingly insignificant events of our lives and of our world are nothing more than links in the chain that God is using to put his plan in motion that we don't realize he's putting in motion. Connections that sometimes seem so insignificant to us that that we miss how they all add up and they're being used by him. You know, if you've been around me any length of time, you've probably heard this testimony so many times, and I don't share it to, 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 to say, yay me, it's got nothing to do with me. In fact, if you think about what I'm about to say, you'll realize it has nothing to do with me. In fact, I'm the least likely candidate for many of the things that have happened, and yet how God used things, how God did things that, that really point to his work and how he is working all the time. But I think of my own life, you know, I'm a career soldier. That was my life. I had spent years years. I enlisted in the army. I became an officer in the army. I intended to make my life about the army. I was going to stay in until they pretty much threw me out or I died, whichever came first, you know, by war or old age or whatever. But I had no intention of ever being a pastor. It wasn't something that had really crossed my mind. I, it's not what I did in the military. It's not what I thought about. But I think about how God, as I look back now, used so many events to bring me to what I'm doing right now, sharing with you how he did that. You know, I look back and it, it started long before this, but, but the significant events really started at this point. I was, I was assigned, I had, had been selected to go to the Command and General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, 10 months together in a study group there. And, and, and in this select group, and it is a select group that gets picked to go to the Command and General Staff College, the, the vast majority of officers never go there. And, and quite frankly, in my skill specialty, my background, very few guys get picked to go. And I did. And I look back over my career and I, I, I realized that, man, what, how, how'd that happen? I even said that to Cindy, how'd that happen that I got picked to go? My career was not that extraordinary from my viewpoint. I was not that extraordinary an officer to get picked, but the Lord sent me. 
And so I'm sitting at the Command and General Staff College, and about midway through, we begin to talk to our assignment officers about where our next assignment will be. And we get some pretty good assignments come out of there. We get a lot of preference for the things that where we wanted to go, things we wanted to do, at least initially. And, you know, I, I really wanted to get back to the Northeast closer to family. I wanted to be, my, my kids to be closer to the grandparents and all this. Lord was putting this desire on my heart. A little link in the chain that I didn't even see what was happening. And so I talked to my assignment manager and he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, we have an assignment. We have a, a position coming open at the Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania uh, Military Interesting Processing Station. It's called the MEPS. It's where new soldiers or enlistees go through when they're enlisting in the military to get processed. And I thought, oh, well, Wilkes-Barre wasn't that far, less than an hour from my mom's house, less than two hours from Cindy's parents. Perfect location. Great assignment. It'd be career enhancing, all the best of everything. So... Great. We'll take that. That Great. If you can slate me for that, that'd be terrific. And so they put my name up for nomination for that and tell me, yep, you're going to get that assignment. And so there's a, a point in, in that where we took a weekend away and we flew back to the East Coast. And I went to visit the, the Wilkes-Barre Maps and I walked in the door and the person that was commanding it, I happened to recognize her. She, she was someone that I knew when I was a captain in another assignment I had. And we got talking. She said, well, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm going to be a replacement. And she said, no, you're not. I said, what? She said, no, you're not. So what do you mean I'm not? They, 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 my assignment officer told me I'm going to replace you. She said, you're not. She said, didn't you know it? She said, we just got word that this station is closing. That it's on the closure list. They're going to close it. I'm just sitting there dumbfounded. Well, now what? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What, what, what's going to happen? So I call my assignment manager. He said, yeah, I meant to call you. He said, we just got word about it. They closed that one. He said, you know, he said, I, I don't know what to do. He said, the only other place I can offer you on the East Coast is, is an assignment in the Pentagon. We need a guy to do officer professional development policy for the Army, which would have just been career mapping officers in their career, writing the regs that had to do with career progression for officers. And he said, you'd be a good candidate for that. I can slate you for that. Well, I put me on the East Coast and still reasonably close to family. And so I took that. All seemingly insignificant events, typical, normal events occurring in, in a military career. So I take that assignment and I end up in the Pentagon. I always joke about this because I always say that I probably got fired faster than anybody from a job because I was less, I was less than a day into my job in the officer professional development realm when, when my boss came to me and he says, we're going to move you. We don't want you in this position. And I was like, did I displease somebody? How could I do that? And the first day he said, no, it's not about that. He said, we need somebody to handle the Army ROTC policy desk. We need somebody to, to handle the, the policy for the Army ROTC program. And all the guys we have eligible, they're not ROTC grads. They don't have any ROTC experience, but you do. You're an ROTC graduate. That's how you got your commission. And, and quite frankly, you've been out as an assistant professor of military science on a college campus already. You're the prime candidate. All the others are officer candidate school officers officers and West Pointers, and we need an ROTC guy, so we're going to move you over there. Significant, insignificant change of position to me, meaningless to me. So I move into that position. Within two years, I'm enjoying the position, I'm enjoying the job, but I'm getting tired of living in D.C., and unbeknownst to me, the Lord is really moving in my heart about maybe I ought to get out of D.C., 
And so I'm thinking, well, you know what? Maybe I can get an assignment in an ROTC realm and I can be a professor of military science. I, I've done, I've been an assistant professor and now I've written the policy. The general f- knows me that, that runs the command. Everybody knows me. Surely I'll get selected to be a professor of military science. And, and, and there's four schools that are available in Pennsylvania. I can even get closer to home. So I put my name in the hat. But I had to put down five schools. Well, the only other school on the East Coast, other than those four in Pennsylvania, is the Rochester Institute of Technology, which I have no idea at that point where Rochester, New York is. I hear people talk about it, but I've never been that far north. don't know what it is. So I put it down, figure it's my last choice. There's no way I'm going to get that. So the board meets. They make the selections. The, the general tells me, he says, Congrat-, he meets me in a hall. He says, congratulations, Randy, you got selected. And well, I kind of knew I would. And then I said, but what school did I get? He said, what, what school did you want? I said, I got Penn State. He says, no, we didn't give you Penn State. I said, I got Bucknell. He says, no, we didn't give you Bucknell. I got University of Pennsylvania. No, we didn't give you that. Sir, what did I get? He said, Randy, we gave you the best school that you put down on your list. We gave you RIT in Rochester. In that moment, I shouted. I said, no. (laughs) And he looked at me. He said, well, that's what you got. That's where you're going. So I knew I crossed the line. (laughs) And and so I came home almost in tears, looking at Cindy saying, I didn't want to go to to New York. I had no desire to, I don't even know where Rochester is. It's like way up there. I have no desire. It's cold winters. It's way up north. Cindy said, well, you know, we've been praying for a long time about the Lord's will. And, you know, we'd been in churches over the years that we were just growing dissatisfied because it was less and less teaching God's word. And, and things were really out of balance. And, and, and maybe, you know, your prayer to where the Lord Maybe he's answering your prayers about getting you to a place of balance. Stay with me on this just for a minute. Even if you've heard this before, stay with me for a minute. Because all of these events up to this point, they're insignificant. I mean, they're just career decisions. And of course, I'm now faced with when I can turn down this assignment and I was able to do it. But by turning down that assignment, it would be marked in my file that I did that. It'd be a career killer. So what's the smart thing to do? All right, we'll go to Rochester. So we pack up and we go to Rochester. And we're there for the first three months trying to habitate back to churches that we've been attending over the years. And for a lot of reasons, we just weren't comfortable there and they weren't teaching the word either. And, 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 and one day I came home and I told Cindy, I found the church. She said, said, it's good news and bad news. She said, well, what's the good news? I said, the good news is I found the church that teaches the word. She said, what's the bad news? I said, We'd have to drive to California every Sunday morning. She said, what do you mean? I said, I'm listening to these guys on the radio, and they're teaching line by line, verse by verse. And the one guy I heard says his church is in California. She said, what's the name of it? I said, Calvary Chapel. She said, I've been listening to the radio station, too, and I think they're here in the city. I think it's their radio station. So I pull open the directory, and sure enough, there's 13. I recognized it. Calvary Chapel, right there it is. I'd never known Calvary Chapel before, never heard of Calvary Chapel before, except what I'm hearing on the radio. And so she says, maybe we should check one of these out. And I'm like, oh, I don't know where. And then all of a sudden, I saw one of their symbols. It was the dove. And I'm sorry, I'm pointing. You can't see that, I'm sure, on the camera. We've got the dove behind us. That's all right. And so I recognized. I said, I've seen one of these. It's not far from our house. I'll go there. And I went there. And within the first 20 minutes, I knew that the Lord had brought me to the place he was bringing me to. 
But I didn't know it was the end of the journey. And so I'm sitting in this church, you know, just enjoying the teaching word, really growing in God's word and, and planning still to go back to the army, to go back, back to a field assignment, to get back out there. Probably battalion command select, fairly certain that would probably happen. Fairly certain, probably. That doesn't work, does it? That's the best you can do in the army. Fairly certain, probably. And, and figure my career was not over. I was going to go back out and do those things. But two years into sitting under the teaching of the word, the Lord started to put on my heart, I want you to retire. I want you to retire. So I'm thinking, retire? Yeah, I should retire. I got my 20 years as an officer. I have four years enlisted. I'll retire. So I, I, I put in my, my paperwork to retire, but right before I did that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have two years in grade now as a lieutenant colonel in my rank as a lieutenant colonel, but to retire and get paid as a lieutenant colonel for retirement, you needed three years. And so I start to negotiate with the Lord. If I just take one more assignment, one more assignment, I'll add the years that I need to get the, the retirement pay at that. And the Lord was putting in my heart, do you trust me? Just turn in your paperwork. Yeah, Lord, I trust you. So I turned in my paperwork. Within a week, two weeks of turning it in, the Army puts out a bulletin and it says that if we're trying to draw down the senior ranks, if you are a lieutenant colonel and you've served as a lieutenant colonel for two years, we will let you retire at your current rank for pay purposes. And if you've already turned in your, pay, or your paperwork within the last 90 days and You've served for two years in that rank. We'll let you retire at that lieutenant colonel rank for pay. Well, I did all those things. And suddenly that's happening. And so the Lord said, step out by faith. I step out by faith. But all these events, are you following with me? All these events, they're insignificant. They're just routine. The army makes decisions like this all the time. But they're starting to gel. They're starting to come together. And in the process, I'm trying to figure, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? And so the rest becomes history. I put in an application in a place called Scotland School for Veterans Children here in Pennsylvania. And, and I get assigned. I, I get hired there. And within two years, this work begins. I could go through all those things, too. But here's the point. As those events were happening, all of them were relatively insignificant, seemingly meaningless in the big picture of things. It's just normal things of life, normal things of my career, normal path changes that happen. But now as I stand on the back end of this, looking back, I realize that like Joseph and Mary, little simple edicts were of the hand of the Lord that were guiding and steering and bringing me onto a path to get me to where God wanted me to be. But this isn't just about Joseph and Mary. And this is not just about me. This is about all of you. Never underestimate how the significant, the, the seemingly insignificant events of your life, if you're following the Lord, if you're yielding your will, your desires to the Lord, how he will use those seemingly insignificant events in your life that will seem oftentimes very routine. Sometimes you won't even realize it's happening. But he's adding them together and bringing them together like channels of water from a stream being brought into a bigger stream where he's taking you to get you right to where you need to be. doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor. It doesn't even mean those things. I never guessed I would be, so it could be for some of you that are listening. And, and for some of you, it's other things. But, but the Lord wants to bring you to where he wants to bring you, and he will orchestrate the events in order to do that. All you need to do is go with the flow. And in the end, you'll be able to look back. And here's the really cool part. You get to do what I just did. Maybe many of you can already. You get to give a testimony of what God did. 
how he got you to where you are, how he did all of these things, but you didn't realize it at the time. Joseph and Mary didn't realize at the time what was happening, but God was orchestrating things to get them to where they needed to be. And so too, he will do that with your life as well. Amen. I hope you think hard about that because that's exactly what he wants to do. We'll look on in verse six. So it was that while they were there talking about in Bethlehem, the the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I know this is a verse we, we teach at Christmas time. You all have heard it to death, but, but there's some really cool parts in this that we need to pay attention to. So it was, it begins. So it was. I like that phrase. I like the way it begins this because it's a phrase that, that I think is, is, is pregnant with meaning like Mary's pregnant. It's pregnant with meaning. So it was, gives a sense of, and it just so happened, but it's almost a tongue-in-cheek way of saying, and it just so happened, you follow my drift? It's not an accident. It's saying it isn't an accident that, that they're there. And it's just the perfect timing of God as he now begins to unfold all of these events. So it was that while they're there, the days are completed and she now has this baby. Now, why did it matter where Jesus was born? Why, why did it matter that all of these events, the census, everything leading them back to Bethlehem, why did that matter? Because prophecy had to be perfectly fulfilled. God wanted to perfectly fulfill prophecy, so Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem in order to do that because Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says this about the Messiah. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, literally meaning the city of bread. Where else would the son of David be born but in Bethlehem, the city of David? Where else would the bread of life be born but in Bethlehem, the house of bread? But you see the connections. Yeah, Caesar made the proclamation for the census to be taken, but God orchestrated and he ordained the entire sequence of events. It was God who allowed, just as we talked about last week, it was God who allowed Rome to rise to power and who caused one of its Caesars to impose a seemingly ordinary administrative requirement of a census in order to cause this ordinary and unknown couple to return to their husband's hometown of Bethlehem to be registered where she goes into labor, just so happens to go into labor while she's there and has this baby in this city so that prophecy would be perfectly fulfilled. (laughs) Go ahead. Tell me that God is not real or in control of events. Go ahead. I dare you to tell me that. Because I'm just going to tell you this, it takes more faith to believe that he's not in control of things and exists than it is to believe in the fact that he exists as in control. And this, this very fulfillment of prophecy is proof alone that causes me to say it is not hard to believe that God is real and he is who he says he is. And so it is. Jesus came into this world as a baby. He's placed in a manger. And of course, you guys know from the, the teaching on the story repeatedly that, that the manger is, is, is a feeding trough for the farm animals. 
And, and, and he's placed there because there's no room for them in the inn itself, in the, in the normal place where, where they might find room. But where exactly this happens, where this feeding trough is located, well, that's not fully known. Some suggest it was in a cave in, in the field where the animals were being kept. That is possible because that was often the case. But it also may have actually been a facility where the animals were kept that was actually a part of the inn itself, attached to that building itself. And that wasn't uncommon in ancient Israel to have that kind of area attached to a dwelling place. And, and you know, it's I, I bring to mind when, Sin, when Cindy and I, I was stationed, we were living in Germany and Bavaria, we would go down in, into the Bavarian Alps and we would just go down for a weekend and we'd look for these signs that would say Zimmer Fry. It means room free. People, it was like they'd open up a room in their house, a boarding room, basically. We got room and board, breakfast and, and a room to sleep. And we found this one that we stayed at. It was really quaint in the mountains. And as we stayed there, it was kind of unique because they took us up to our room and the room was literally over the barn. We could hear the chickens and we could hear the cows mooing in the night. And yeah, we could smell them too. And, and there we were over this thing, but how unique that was. But I thought of that as I, I thought of this picture of these facilities that were attached to the house, not quite the same, but the same idea. It was part of the house. And it may have very well been that that's where they moved Mary and Joseph to in order to have baby Jesus. But it's also worth noting in this is the garments that they clothe Jesus with. They wrap him in what's titled here swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths are these snugly wrapped strips of cloth, and it wasn't uncommon for, for parents of newborns to wrap their babies in these simple wrappings as it kept their limbs straight and, and really unharmed. They couldn't scratch themselves. They couldn't move around a lot. It kind of held them tight, made them feel secure. But in this case, it was necessary as well. This little detail was absolutely necessary for them to do because it's one of the things that the Lord will tell the shepherds to look for in order to identify the baby Messiah. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.